0: And look, I think, have we not just gone through a global experiment in navigating uncertainty? Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting. uh, You know, I I think it's my colleague uh, who was on the podcast, Dr. I'm going to call it a few (laughs) podcast guests here. Uh, She's an anthropologist and an emergency physician, and she's been doing some work uh, studying ED culture in, in simulation format. And, you know, her conclusion is that a lot of the work we do is navigating uncertainty. That is, is the work you know so uh, yes it's it's tough because we're human um but I, I think that is part of the challenge i mean i think i remember at, at medical school my first professor on day one saying you know 50 percent of what you know at any one time you know will be correct but you just don't know which 50 percent, or will be incorrect you know <laughs> either way i mean again it's putting arbitrary numbers on it um but, you know, we're, we're trained in a very scientific way um, and it's nice to be able to put things in boxes. But, um, you know, the reality is that this is art as much as science and it's an imperfect science.
1: Are you a health professional wanting to explore all the options life has to offer? Then you've come to the right place. The Balanced Medics Handover podcast is all about living outside the box of what we've been told. I'm Isabella, your host, a junior doctor from Australia and trained coach. I'll be interviewing health professionals from all walks of life, artists, authors, non-clinical specialists and more. These stories show that our choices are endless. Let's take the journey together. This is The Handover. Hi, welcome back to the Balanced Medics handover podcast. This episode we are speaking all about uncertainty and control in medicine or more the feeling of the lack of control. We are lucky to have Dr Cheryl Martin here to help discuss this topic. Cheryl is an emergency physician, chair of Australian College of Emergency Medicine Workforce Wellbeing Executive and the host of the Mindful Medic podcast. So who best? to have on then Cheryl to discuss these difficult topics let's hand over to Cheryl
0: hi Isabella thank you it's you know, a real honor to be on your podcast I've been listening now you know I'm a podcast fanatic um, and you know you're producing some wonderful episodes um, I've met some of your guests and the rest of them I now want to meet so thank you
1: that's awesome and I love your podcast so for the listeners who haven't listened to it yet they should check it out the mindful medic podcast and i really think it's cool for us to join forces today and talk about this topic do you
0: mind sharing more of your story and how you got to where you are now sure i think it's always quite hard to to share many of your stories um and we've already said we're going to try and keep it succinct because i have a tendency to ramble i am an emergency physician as you said um clearly not originally from australia so I suppose a big part of my story is that I grew up in Scotland. I did my medical and undergraduate training in Glasgow. Um, I've always been a bit obsessed with Australia. I first came here when I was nine with my family. My mum's sister moved here um, many years ago now. And, and of her children, my cousins were born here. So my aunt and uncle still sound like me. Um, I'm an Andrew don't. And I, I think I, I came again when I was a medical student. I had a friend traveling here and I always knew I would come. So I think after I did I did intern year, um, called it an old money, GHO year in Scotland. I did six months of emergency and, you know, I'd always been drawn to emergency medicine, sports medicine. It, you know, it was quite hard to, I didn't intercalation it in sports medicine and it wasn't really something you could make a career or a training program of at that point. And so I think, you know, I I knew I was probably going to do emergency medicine. Um, but I came for a year. Um, I went on the internet and I looked up jobs in Australia um, and I found a job on Sydney Central Coast, which hadn't really thought through. And I, I think maybe one of the things is I, I can, you know, I have had a tendency to, <laughs> to bite off more than I can chew at times, and um, hadn't, you know, particularly thought about logistics. And I remember arriving and finding out I wasn't actually going to be in the hospital that I was meant to be. I was going to be probably 45 minutes to an hour away in another hospital. And the accommodation had just run out, the last accommodation. So I didn't have accommodation. I didn't have transport. And I remember calling my dear mum and she said, just come home. (laughs) I said, no, I can't do that. And, you know, and I think the the other big lesson is this, you know, you really rely on support. You know, even if you don't ask for it, I think I, I... now realize it takes a village to do many things and I'm very grateful to the key supporters um, at that stage and throughout my life. Um, I remember emailing Ron from Quantum Recruitment who will not know have any idea who I am and um, he was a lifesaver for me at the time he said get your CV to me get to Melbourne I hope they had family there uh, and I'll have some interviews for you in 24 hours and he did so he had I think it was the Austin, Rwanda, and the Angus and he said go for the job at the Austin and I met um wonderful director Dr Fergus Kerr at that point and so the very next day I, I went and I, I went for the the interview and got the job and I was so excited and then we found out I actually wasn't even on the right visa so it was I wasn't on a medical practitioner visa I really had just done this on the internet and so I had to wait four weeks and you know the other I, I suppose key player in this you know part of my family were, was a friend uh Dr. Ben Chang, who's a radiologist, um, who uh, had, he is Australian, but had, you know, quite randomly come to Glasgow to do his medical um, undergraduate training, and we had studied for our finals together, and he was back in South Melbourne, and he he met me, he picked me up, took me to Docklands for dinner, and he was like, just come and stay with me, and you know, I had, he had a lovely flat in South Melbourne, I had a plastic, a pair of plastic drawers and a mattress there. He was a lifesaver, um, and then at six month mark, my friend Jen came out, and um, she's now an oncologist in Glasgow. And we spent another six months. And you know, I didn't really plan to stay, and and I I remember saying to Ferguson, "I'll go back." And and you know, I did some orthopedics, some anesthetics, some I sat on my part one in ED in in Glasgow. I bought a house, but there was just this niggling part of me. I was one of I was one of those people who went back and went, "Well, in Australia, in Australia. <laughs> and I remember a colleague just taking me aside and saying, "You know, I think he should go back." And again, talking about serendipity, you know this is the way I remember it. you know, it's certainly the story I keep telling myself. I was driving to an interview for an anesthetic training program. Um it was the time of you know people maybe from the UK might be familiar with MMC, which they called modernizing medical careers, which, we affectionately called mucking up medical careers so I was one of the lost tribe because I had taken time out and I remember going for this anaesthetic job that I really didn't want and hearing on the radio um I didn't get it anyway but I, I hear, hearing on the radio come and work in Australia I think it was WA at the time and um you know I got home and I had had an email from the director Dr Fergus Kerr at that point saying well look it's nearly two years are you coming back I just said yes and um, I sold my house and I came back and so I I then went back to the Austin and did my medical training then. I think, you know, I was particularly drawn to the inherent flexibility um, and ability to maybe tailor um, some of your own program here in Australia compared to at that point in the UK, I think things have changed and I suppose that's, you know, if we talk about what I value, I think that's probably a recurring theme uh, through my career.
1: Wow, I love how you got the call on the radio and then the email to come back and it all was lining up. Uh, and also they say that people who work in emergency medicine, you have more of that fun spontaneity in their personality and you just jumping in and not on the right visa, but it all working out. And I mean, I think
0: we're going to talk about uncertainty today. You know, I think there's parts of my life where I I overthink it and I'm very measured, but there's other parts where I have been, you know, I suppose, open to that Um failure and and I failed many times (laughs) I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that the key message for me was the support that I had around about me. And I think you, you maybe don't realize you have that. Uh,
1: Now I wanted to ask more about your new role as the, um, workforce wellbeing executive for the Australian College of Emergency Medicine. And do you mind telling us more about
0: that? And I think I might I might take a step back if you don't mind, because I yeah, think that's course. probably the next part of this story. And and how do you become involved in, you know, workforce wellbeing? And I think in common with many of my colleagues that now aren't quite invested in work in this space, a lot of them have lived experience. And you know, I think a a good part of the story is that I, so I did my my training here and I did take quite a long time to train is what I will say, because I'd sat primaries before. And, and, you know, I, I I find myself at the end of my fellowship in my early thirties. You know, I went from the most enthusiastic person in the room to limping towards the end of my fellowship. Um, I, you know, I mean, I've spoken about this quite a few times now, you know, I think I, um I still had so I, I got through the exam, but I still had 18 months to work um, at the other side of that. And I think this two standout experiences, again I had a lot of support and you you remember your supporters. But I remember two quite critical conversations at that point. Um when I was just approaching the exam, I remember having a conversation with a, you know, a wonderful colleague who was a consultant and saying, you know, look, once I've got through this. I, you know, I don't want to just jump onto a consultant job. I actually want to, you know, I want to do some things outside, you know, it emergency medicine, within medicine. And in my life, I want to reclaim, you know, we get this, you know, not infrequently this narrowing um of our interests. And I was desperate to reclaim that. Um, you know, I run, um, Isabella, and I really like trail running because it's it's off the beaten track and I, you know, I hate treadmills. And I, you know, I think that was the analogy for me. And I remember him saying, "Oh no, you can't do that. No, 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 no. You know, you, you've got to get on the ladder and and I I just kind of smiled and I said, "Well, no, that's not what I'm going to do." Um but it but it wasn't a, you know, I was thinking, am I? You know, is this is this, you know, crazy? <laughs> and um I think the other thing is, you know, when I did get through the exam and I, I then had another role, I I chose to change jobs again just again looking for um you know a bit of a different experience but realizing I was doing the same kind of hours that I had been doing 10 years previously and I think at that point you know I look subsequently I did end up in a job which was more a fellow role which was more suitable to acting up to consultant and I think those roles are really good for the transition period Um, but anyway I left a job and uh, you know I think now I can talk about it but it was you know professionally a a pretty stressful time and what I will say is you know leaving a job saying no these things get easier they get easier and easier Um, and I had to make a a call to somebody I've never met in you know senior executive medical director role in the, the big hospital and I remember just saying, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to leave this job. Um, you know, it's probably a bit of burnout is what I said, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I, I think I've said before, you know, that the reality is we're usually quite deep down the well when we're saying it's a little bit of burnout. And I remember quite clearly the person saying, do not use that term. It has certain connotations. I remember being very disappointed and I came off the phone I was like it is what it is and I left anyway And again thanks to some great support because you remember the people that really champion you. Um, you know what we got through that bit but you know I now know and I had seen nice you know we all see people breaking round about us and I knew that I was not unique or alone and now we have you know some pretty good data to see particularly me as an emergency physician I can look to my right. Or to my left, and I'll have a colleague that's had a similar experience. Yeah, and so I left and I'd spent then a couple of years doing you know a lot of different things. I, I did locum as an emergency consultant. Um, you know, I, I want to keep this brief, but I did some sports medicine again, some lifestyle medicine. I, I, I have been a long term yoga teacher, I sorry, t- student of yoga. So I, I did my teacher training, I did a 350 hours, and then some subsequent postgraduate teaching with some physicians in in Europe and in Asia and um, with a running coach and yoga teacher in America. And, and you know, that was all wonderful. And, and I reclaimed my own love of running and you know, that that's a big part of my life. And I think part of that was the community and the, the people that I met who, yeah. you know, we might talk about vulnerability, but they are a group who are, you know, have been more comfortable with that. I've found and it's something that I really wanted to claim from my medical community. And so look, I had a lot of work to do, Isabella. Um, I'll definitely admit that, you know, there's definitely things I could have done better in terms of periodizing my training, but I did some work around, you know, identity and um, what I value. In fact, the first kind of work I really did in that was part of my yoga teacher training philosophy. And, you know, I visited it in leadership courses and medicine subsequently. But that was the first time I'd really thought about things like that and had time to, to reflect on it. And I remember coming across a paper in 2017 in it was the, the Mayo Clinic um, Proceedings um, it was an executive leadership paper by Dr. Tate Shanafelt, who you probably have heard of, who isn't, you know, I would consider the world expert on clinician well-being. He's a hematologist oncologist by background, but he spent 20, even 30 years studying this. And he authored this with Dr. Noseworthy. and you know, it was starting to look, it was, you know, it was kind of a revelation for me starting to, they'd been measuring, they'd been doing this work for 20 years and they had some really robust data and there was some really key things coming out of this about system and culture that we're working in. And, you know, that that this is not us as individuals, you know, in entirety. Um, and some really practical things coming out of the work that they were doing and so I started to present on this I was invited to two was more lifestyle medicine conferences so still on the periphery of mainstream medicine and it really opened up some really interesting conversations (laughs) Um, I remember co-presenting with a psychiatrist at the Australian Australasian lifestyle medicine um, conference and you know it was physician heal thyself and starting to present some of this data and open up conversations and he came to me afterwards and he had yeah this is so interesting he said you know all, you know, a lot of my uh, patients are your colleagues. <laughs> and, you know, it was, uh, but but important. Um, but I think at, at that time, we weren't having open conversations right about here. Um, and so it's kind of grown from there. I um, knew that, well, I'd heard about, so Dr. T. H thought then went to uh, Stanford, and they set up Stanford Well MD. I'd been following the work, I'd been reading everything I could, and so actually somebody I haven't met, who hopefully I will meet soon, Dr. Jane Munro, who's a, a rheumatologist in uh, the Children's, who had a sabbatical and was actually due to go to do their Chief Wellness Officer course. And I didn't know about um, Dr. Bethan Richards, Bethan at that point, and she couldn't go because of COVID. And she um, she ended up setting up Pandemic Kindness. But I thought, oh, what is this? And started to read a bit more. So I did their well-being Director's course online, and then last year I was... Uh, fortunate to be accepted to go to Stanford um, and I think you probably heard a bit about that because we met at the Australasian Doctors Health Conference um, and we've got you know I think there's just this growing um, community now and it was really encouraging for me to meet people really starting to think about this here and you know the reality is although the drivers um, a lot of the, a lot of the drivers and problems we have are similar you know the way we're going to operationalize this will be different um, and so I think for the college to have this as a, you know, a new role, I think there's going to be a lot of work to do, um, but I think it's a really important step forward.
1: Yes, 100%. When I saw it on LinkedIn, I thought this is awesome that it's becoming more of a, an accepted thing. And it's not something new having these struggles like burnouts. Every doctor through, at some point throughout their training um, in medical school as a junior has experienced uh, a struggle in some way
0: and I think it's kind of I like the 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 conversations moving towards this place of professional fulfillment and so almost Mm. you know renaming well-being because it is this it's the individual it's the system it's the culture and 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 I think the individual experience is still very different um but there it's good to know there are tangible things we can do yeah um and I think that's what I like about this work um and the fact that you know we're starting to just make this core business yeah a lot of work to do but you know i think there's an encouraging momentum
1: it's important work and yes fulfillment instead of just the absence of burnout i also like your analogy of the um, treadmill and the trail run because medicine can sometimes feel a little bit like a treadmill and sometimes when you do do your own thing, it, you do feel like you're hacking your own way through a trail and it's really cool to see what you've done through following your own interests. Now, medicine can be a tough job and one of the hard things to manage and what I have been messaged about is the lack of control and uncertainty in medicine, which can be seen in both clinical decisions, rostering, rotations, jobs and training. Um, And I thought we could try, go through these and share tips on how to navigate it. So first of all, uh, I wanted to ask you, why do you think we find uncertainty and this lack of control so challenging? Yeah,
0: I mean, we're human. (laughs) I think um, this is such a great question. And look, I think have we not just gone through a global experiment in navigating uncertainty? (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I think it's my colleague, uh, who was on the podcast, Dr. E. Pur- Purdy, I'm going to call it a few <laughs> podcast guests here. Uh, she's an anthropologist and an emergency physician, and she's been doing some work uh, studying ED culture in, in simulation format. And, you know, her conclusion is that a lot of the work we do is navigating uncertainty. That is is the work. You know, so, uh, yes, it's, it's tough because we're human. Um, but I, I think... That is part of the challenge. I mean, I think I remember at, at medical school, my first professor on day one saying, "You know, fifty percent of what you know at any one time, you know, will be correct, but you just don't know which fifty percent, or will be incorrect." You know, <laughs> either way. I mean, again, it's putting arbitrary numbers on it. Um, but you know, we're we're trained in a very scientific way, um, and it's nice to be able to put things in boxes. But um, you know, the reality is that this is art as much as science and it's an imperfect science. And you know, I just read a great, um, hopefully, upcoming guest um, quote on this. So Amy, Professor Amy Edmondson, who's you know, probably the world expert on psychological safety. Um, she said, success in an uncertain world depends on high quality bets and high quality bets depend on high quality conversations. I just, I think that is great because, uh, you know, it, it it goes back to the conversations we have with each other and it goes back to the conversations we're having with patients. Um, you know, we talk about shared decision-making, but I, you know, I think a lot of what we do in emergency medicine is about, it, it is about making the best bet, you know, yeah. the, um, I think, again, it was Amal Matu, who's a cardiologist, said, you know, what happens in the textbooks, you know, classic. How often do you think that happens? And I remember being in a lecture where he said, it's 15% of the time. I was like, oh, geez, that is not helpful. Because, <laughs> exactly. you know, patients present outside the box. You know, I think the longer you you work in medicine, you get more comfortable with that. Um, I, think, I think the thing to see when you're training is... You know, I've talked about having high quality conversations. You shouldn't feel that you're alone. And again, it goes back to right what I said at the start about knowing that you've got an army of support around about you and nowhere to ask for that and not being afraid to ask for it. I think the times I've had most regrets in my career is when I haven't listened to the little voice that says, Oh, um or I haven't reached out for help. Um, I haven't picked up the phone in the middle of the night. And, you know, I think we've all had variable experiences yeah. of that, but that is never a mistake.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate with this. I
0: think the other thing to say is, you know, talked about what what we can control um, and what we can't. And I use, I really like, again, another podcast guest um, who's an emergency physician, uh, Dr. Cliff Reed. He, he, He did a great blog post on this a couple of years ago where he talked about more from an emergency physician perspective, like trying to reduce the area under the suffering curve. And, you know, where we can add value. And he talked about spheres of control, of influence and concern. And, you know, there's some really nice practical things put in there. You know, what can I do? I can relieve pain and suffering. You know, I can have high quality conversations with my patients and my colleagues. I can get warm blankets. You know, all of those things. I can't fix access block and waiting room medicine. And I can't, you know, there's a lot of things that I can't do in any one shift. And I have been as guilty as anyone of focusing on all of the things that I can't immediately control but then you know to the extent that you actually forget all the things that you can chip away at you know those little one percent gains you know how can i go into my shift and 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 add value
1: yeah definitely so number one support pick up the phone there's people around you that are able to help if you need it number two look at what you can actually do
0: and then you talked about rostering and, you know, the other things. And I think that is the really tricky thing. You know, when you're yes. training um, and when you're starting out, you your autonomy. And, you know, if you ask what I value, Elizabeth, and I'm, I'm, I'd i love to know your, you. I know I suspect you've done a bit of work, so I'd love to know yours. But for me, it's yes. autonomy, creativity and service. I think those would be the top three. And, and I think that the real challenge is when you have more and we know when you're training and when you're starting out in medicine your autonomy is at its and flexibility is at its minimal yes. um you know and I think nobody actually told me that on the other side of you know my my specialist training it was actually going to get much better um and you know I think there's a lot of things we need to do better and um, systematically and structurally and so I first thing I will say you know in, in terms of rostering you know are, are they safe and fair? And I think knowing who who's advocating for that. But I think within the limits of that, it can be, so a couple of things, it can be really useful to schedule where you're actually going to have those. And we talked about the narrowing of interests. where you're actually going to be able to control some of your time to reclaim for you, for the things that you enjoy doing. And I, I know with you know varying rosters, if you have a hobby that you do weekly, it becomes really hard Um and then you can you know skip a few weeks and then just let it go. Um, and I think I, you know I, trying to 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 make that happen as often as you can can be really important. I think the other thing and the um, many of us and again not everyone um, but the the delayed gratification and and you know performance there's definitely a relationship there and you see it frequently in in our demographic. You know we put off the you know so I'll just get this study done i'll just get this presentation done and I had a wonderful conversation with uh, my colleague his nephrologist um Christine Barker who's also a musician dr Christine Barker and you know she said you know now i do joy first you know she says it's like a game changer and you know I, I i think that occasionally doing the joy first and then then i'll go and do what i need to do and um, because sometimes if you put it off you just don't do it um yeah. and i think having critical friends Having a mentor, you have a coach, even better, you know, in my future world, this will be part and parcel of what's available to us um, can be really useful.
1: Yeah. and, And with rostering, I found one of the greatest things with friends and having that WhatsApp group where you can put it in the chat of who can swap with me and having people there that allow you the flexibility to change things around. Now, going along the lines of rostering, um, another place that we may feel a bit out of control in in medicine is jobs. So we often have to accept a job uh, and move to where we've been accepted. So I know of a few people that have had to move cities and be away from their uh, partners. For example, you yourself were in the Gold Coast um, and then moving to Melbourne. So how do you think we can best manage this kind of um uncertainty and lack of control
0: yeah and I, I think again what we've reiterated it comes trying to the people around about you and asking for help and, and reaching out having your critical friends um you know and if you do have I like that my colleague Dr Charlotte Duran says you need a network of mentors in different areas of your life and if you can find people that have you know tread the path before you and um, that is really, really helpful. And to be and the, the good thing with, you know, this medium, you can actually keep in touch with them, you know, even when you are in a you know relatively isolated. I mean, I think that we've all seen those connections, virtual connections can still be really helpful. It's really challenging. But I think also, you know, knowing that you are able to do this, because there may come a point where there is it's an ask too far. And I I'm certainly you know, anecdotally seeing that, that people are having to then think, well, what is actually important here? Yes, my job is important, but how many hoops am I prepared to jump through? Yeah. Um, and I think being able to get very clear on that, because you, what you don't want to do is set yourself up to find yourself deep down a hole.
1: Yeah, that's so important. And,
0: and that's really yeah. challenging. I mean, it's really challenging. It is. I, You know, my future vision is that that, that, that shouldn't be yes. the way it is, you know? <laughs>
1: I agree. I agree. It is challenging uh, setting those boundaries and doing that inner work to figure out what is your number one value. What do you prioritize in your own life? And even though it's tough, it is okay to say no sometimes in medicine and you can do it.
0: It's essential, actually. It's essential you know, I mean, I think the other flip side of that, you know, particularly when you get the opportunity to go out to rural and regional places or different, you know, states, you can, you can have a lot of learning and, you know, great growth experience. And we need great doctors and great nurses and great clinicians, you know, all over the country. Um, You know, I, I think, again, probably my, um, you know, I have been called a bit of a gypsy, but I quite like that I, you know, now get to work in a variety of settings. You know, I find that, pretty important for me. um, And, you know, I think it can be very rewarding.
1: Yes, you're right. There is the flip side that we do need doctors everywhere um, and ways to manage being in different places is, is working on our own joy and doing things that bring us joy outside of work as well. Now, another thing I wanted to, to touch on is training programs. So um, I think in the next few years, we'll be definitely hearing more about this, but a lot of training programs have the three strikes and you're out rule now. I'm um, just wondering what your thoughts are on how to manage
0: these setbacks. I mean, I think there's quite a bit of reiteration. I think this is, again, a great question. It's a really hard question and, and I, I think it comes back to how you know, how much we're prepared to, to you know, I, I think there comes a point where we have to reevaluate things. I think, you know, if having all of the support around about you, I think particularly if it's like an exam that you failed, you know, I I do find, you know, particularly, you know, my experience is emergency medicine. They take us when we're, we're actually pretty old by the time we're sitting this exam, because we've been training for a long time, many of us for 10 years. And, um, you know, quite happy to be running a department overnight and then you fail an exam. It just seems like very, you know, that there's (laughs) a a definite um, dichotomy there. And, uh, you know, I've seen colleagues, as I've said, really then... Having at that stage in their career when they're more likely to have family, they're more likely to have other commitments to trying to to do shift work and to study for this exam that they're failing, and you know the message is that you're not good enough, you're not making the cut. But actually, we're still happy for you to still run a department overnight, and it can be it's it, it's you know it's a, it's a nightmare, <laughs> and um, yeah, the you know I think having again supports I think you know, coaching at that stage um, can be useful. But I think, you know, having done all of the bits and pieces, if you're still getting nowhere, then that's the point where I think that, you know, you, you need to look after yourself and your family and your relationships and, and preservation and and reevaluate what what's important. Um, you no, know, I, I mean, uh, very difficult.
1: It is unfortunate. Um, and I hope to speak more on this matter and get people on the podcast who maybe have had the three strikes and and they're done just to talk about what they're doing now to prove that life does go on and that there is more outside of of this even though at the time it i know it's a it's a big setback and also beyond what you'll do next is it is really important to continue to reflect and work on ourselves because um, we are so much more than an exam a job or a training program and it's So vital to hold on to our identity outside of medicine,
0: and you know colleges do have pathways and supports, and but you know if you find yourself that you're you're actually going to have to reconsider what you're doing, then you know that might be the case where you actually seek some external mentors, coaches to to think, well, what's next? Because there's so many opportunities in medicine.
1: Yes, definitely. There's so much more besides clinical. There's non-clinical industry, something completely other than medicine. And the whole point of this podcast is to show all these possibilities um, that are available for us. And we really do have transferable skills like problem solving, time management and communication. Now, I have another tough question for you, and that is about uh, medical errors and when things don't go to plan we all go into medicine wanting to help people. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes the outcomes um, that occur aren't what we want or expect. Uh, how do you think we can best look after ourselves and each other when these difficult moments happen?
0: Um, So, you know, I think when things go the way we don't want them to go, um, you know, I think there's a couple of frameworks that I think about when I am in the emergency department. You know, I think if it's, you know as part of a team then i think a rapid supportive debrief initially can be helpful not everybody i think it, it i usually make it optional but i think that can be just a way to honor patient honor the team um honor individuals and and hold some space you know if, if something has um, happened unexpectedly you know i i think um you know that that's not an operational drift brief it doesn't replace replace that later you know i i i like that we are moving away from a name blame shame and you know this has been again you think about the well being movement the safety and quality movement started before that and you know it's interesting cuz it's following a similar path but you know we are moving more towards you know a systems thinking approach to this um you know it's safety too you know and i think there are there, there are things that we can learn as groups all of the time, and you know, back to the 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 science of psychological safety. Um, but the reality is, you know, it's an imperfect system we're working in, and things are going to go wrong. Um, and I think being able to accept that is, is you know, I, we've talked about you know it's the stoicism perfectionism that 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 we have as clinicians and to be able to reach out when that is happening it is also hard um but again it's your critical friends it's your mentors it's i think if that's the, the thing that i'm going to have over and over again this is when you need your support network
1: <laughs> yes definitely supports are so key and i really Appreciate how you say that mistakes do happen because it's um, not a matter of if, which I think sometimes can be the narrative. I also think of Atul Gawande's book Complications, um, and he says that it's not about stopping bad doctors from making mistakes; it's about when good doctors um, making mistakes, what to do when that happens.
0: And you're right; it's not if, it's when. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I. I can think of, you know, several occasions, you know, personally. And, and you know, I'm, you know, I think every fellow clinician, again, to my right and left could also. And I think the other thing, like when you, you know, as you progress, being able to share those with other colleagues. Yes. I, uh, when I was doing my training, there's a great series of books called Bounce Backs in Emergency Medicine. Um, you know which talks about you know when things go wrong and some of the really more challenging and, and difficult cases and you know certainly people that present and represent to the emergency department that's immediately gets your your, um, your kind of alarm bells up um, and I always find it very helpful <laughs> to to read through those but you know it doesn't mean that that they are not going to happen to me but you know being able to share those um, and also to role model that you know, we are not perfect. Yeah. Um, I think I'm very comfortable with that. And I think being able to roll out of that I don't know all the answers, you know, and I have my support network round about me, I have my my colleagues. And, you know, going back to the 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 kind of psychological safety piece, you know, I, I think it's Pratt Crossgray described the ED as a laboratory of errors. I mean, there's an error waiting to happen in the ED every sixty seconds and, and I've made that sixty seconds up. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> but seriously, you you you're relying on Everybody, um, as part of a high performing team, having each other's backs, you know, being covering each other's blind spots, calling out, Cheryl, you know, was that the right or the left leg you meant to x-ray or did you mean to write that as you're, you know, and I'm quite aware that certainly I think cognitive overwhelm is one of the things that I have to navigate as an ED Mm -hmm. consultant. And, you know, that's probably the challenge and it's getting more and more challenging but knowing who I'm not paying attention to knowing where you know I potentially um I'm open to error and which is is frequently you need a whole team and so that goes back to so what do we know works there it goes back to right in the morning when we come on shift together Isabel and I said well you know have a brief check in how's your weekend been this is what we're going to do for today let's check in after x y and z you know if something you know, big does happen. Let's have a, a, a brief debrief. Let's do an act or action review. Let's make sure that we eat and take a break and pee. And, you know, because this is basic performance. And uh, if we're not doing that, we're actually opening ourselves up to to, to more risk and our patients. Um, you know, I, I think all of that's important. And, uh, you know, I really like that end of going home checklist. You know, think of three things that went well, you know, you can think of one thing that was more challenging, but outweigh the the negative with three more positives and then mentally check out, you know, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? And if you are struggling, who are your supports before you leave? Do you know who those people are?
1: Yes. uh, That's really great. The idea of a checklist before going home. Um, And I'll put in the show notes, a link to more resources to support anyone who may be um, having a hard time at the moment. Um, The doctor's health service is a great resource, a 24-7 confidential service um, for anyone who needs it. Now, I would love to keep chatting, but we're we're running near the end of time. Um, Now, I ask this of everyone, what does balance mean to you? Uh,
0: Good question. Um, At the moment, balance is uh, the wobbles I get trying to perfect my arsenal on one leg so when i'm doing yoga so that is usually when i'm trying to do a posture um but i think that's an interesting example of the fact that you know balance isn't static it's a uh, constant movement yeah and look i i think you know i've said before i like the integration piece um sometimes you know it, it it's periodization so my macro and micro cycles i think some points are going to be more intense and I I think if I could have redone some of my for training for example I probably would have quite actively scheduled in those rest periods um scheduled in quieter periods and to get overall integration and balance um you know and I, I think yeah I think that's one of the important lessons I'm not going to get this I still don't get this right um I think it's hard when you enjoy things and you can talk about the so I just might share one thing as a final thing. They they have done a bit of work around our kind of professional fulfillment. And if we can find that little part of our work, you know, the kind of bit bits the sweet spot. And it, I don't think this has to be within the job. Um, You know, it could be in life generally, that 15 to 20 percent. Um, You know, if, if we can do that um, for that amount of time through our week, then that can offset some of the more challenging things. But, you know, the, the upside, is, so the other side of that is if you do that bit too much, it's kind of the passion paradox, you know, because you can't say no to things. Mm. And I, I find it, you know, difficult to say no to the things that I most enjoy so work in progress is that what I am like to say work in progress
1: no that is so great to share um, and talk about because as doctors I think we can all be very great at doing well at things and you know it's not about achieving the perfect balance um so it's really great to talk about how it's a it's a moving thing always in progress
0: I think and the other thing of that I'm um I'm back at university at the moment and I am um it's really hard to suck at something again and I'm sitting here with pivot tables and Excel and thinking, Oh my goodness and like the, the finance stuff and you know, I I'm gonna learn a lot, um, but uh, you know, I'm potentially gonna scrape or fail and, and, and that's fine. I think it's good to suck at something new again and embrace your beginner's mind.
1: Yes, that's so true. The beginner's mind. Um it's it is hard to suck at something again, but it is um, good practice to get that beginner's mindset all over again. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think would benefit the
0: listeners? I don't think so. Um, let <laughs> me. Did I have something else that I wanted to suggest? You know, you've had some great reading recommendations on your podcast. Um, do you want to finish with a Brandy Brown quote? Is that just a bit? Is that, is that a bit um cheesy? Go for it. So there's, I really like that. There's no equation. We're taking risks, braving uncertainty and opening ourselves up to emotional exposure equals weakness.
1: Mm. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story, because I think that's just so key um, to show that you're not alone. Um, and I think that can help a lot of people who are listening.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you asked some really tough questions there as well. The, um, You know, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, you know, they are, um, they're tough. Um, and really, you know, we're breaking brilliant people. And, and you know, it's, it is, you know, I, th- I think my the next 10, 20 years of my career will be devoted to, to to doing what I can to chip away at that. And, you know, within my circle of control and influence, um, but there's a lot of people thinking similarly. I mean, I, I go to locums now and there's so many doctors in training who've left training who are locuming. And, you know, really finding their way and they're doing that earlier than I did it um but we also we really need that talent it's this is talent retention um our patients deserve these brilliant people (laughs) so you know I think that's that I suppose that's my declaration of interest um you know I do think my colleagues are brilliant and our patients deserve them. So
1: Yes, that's so that's um really some great points there. And if you haven't checked out Dr. Una yet, um Cheryl, you really should. Doctor Neka Unachuku, I had her on the podcast. Um a few episodes ago, and she speaks about making a movement and changing the culture in medicine. And apparently you only need 10%. So in Australia, it's not as much as in the US, so we can definitely do it.
0: You've got to read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, now, how can people reach out to you, listen to your podcast, um, and, yeah, just get in touch?
0: Uh, so I am on some social media i kind of really dabble in twitter but the there's an instagram account for the podcast Mindful fool f-u-l-l um, medic um podcast and we do i do have a buzzsprout website and i hope that we're going to um, reignite the actual website to the podcast which will just be www.themindfulmedicpodcast.com and i'm also on linkedin
1: that's great thank you so much for coming on i know i gave you a lot of really tough questions but you handled it all like a pro so thank you for coming on
0: no thank you very much
1: you've been listening to the balance medics handover podcast if you've enjoyed what you've heard i'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review this podcast and click the follow button for more resources check out the balance medics website the link to this will be in the show notes below. See you next episode.